Welcome to the Legally Speaking Podcast. I'm your host, Rob Hanna. Today, I'm delighted to be joined by Hannah Becko. Hannah is a property partner at Gunna Cook LLP, where she specializes in both commercial and personal property matters, working for innovative investors and developers. Since 2016, Hannah has worked as a coach and trainer to the legal profession, speaking out on areas such as mental health and happiness in the law, and now has a number of resources relating to this on her Authentically Speaking website. Hannah is also the proud founder of the Lawyers Business Mastermind Group. For business, legal owners, self-employed lawyers, consultants, which provides a platform for entrepreneurial lawyers to grow. If this wasn't impressive enough, since the start of this year, Hannah also started her own podcast, Build Your Legal Business, aimed at lawyers who want to scale out without burning out. A very, very big welcome, Hannah. Oh, thank you, Rob. Thank you so much. I thought you weren't going to stop and take a breath there. (laughs) (laughs) I know. There's so much to go through, and it's testament to all that you've achieved throughout your legal career to date. So before we start, we do have our customary icebreaker question here on the Legally Speaking podcast, which is, on the scale of 1 to 10, 10 being very real, how real would you rate the reality hit series Suits in terms of its reality? I think I'd give it about a six because it shows it as a high pressured, long hours environment, very competitive. People are always trying to move up the ladder. And in that respect, I think it's quite accurate. But of course, in many others, it is not. (laughs) (laughs) Indeed, indeed. I think six is a fair, a fair comment. So let's start at the beginning then. Tell us a little bit about your family background and upbringing. Oh, one interesting question. I don't know if I've been asked that before. And I know we only have a short time, so I'll try and keep it fairly potted (laughs) history. But um, I was born in Cambridge. My parents, um, all from that area, the Cambridge area, that's where all my extended family live. And I was brought up there until I was about 10 or 11. And then uh, very traumatically for me, I was moved away from all my family. I have, we have a very big family. I've got 54 first cousins, as an example. Um, Yes, farming families, very, very big. Um, Now, I wasn't close with all of them, but I was close with a number of them. And to to be moved at that age of of nine and 10 was was actually very traumatic for me. Um, We moved 200 miles up to Lancashire. And I didn't like it at all. And I fought my parents for probably five years or so to be to move back down south. Not only did I miss all my friends and family, but I obviously spoke completely differently. If you can imagine Southern accent (laughs) going to school in Wigan in Lancashire, it was not popular. Um, so a lot of, and, and you see some of this in my story that I share actually about how I've come to do a lot of public speaking and why I talk all about authenticity and being who we really are, but that it's a journey to remember who we are because yeah. so much of what I was like as a child was, was changed by that experience, by, by being moved that far and speaking differently to everybody else and, and, and everything that went along with that. So that was the interest, I suppose, but yeah, the traumatic and interesting part of my childhood. Then I stayed in the northwest actually despite spending years trying to get back down south I did stay in the northwest I went to university at Manchester to do law and then I stayed in Manchester to start my legal career which I started at Beechcrofts was Beechcroft Wandsboroughs at the time and for those 
perfectionists, um, attention to detail type lawyers, of which I'm not one, and I do make that clear to people, um, I managed to spell Beechcroft wrong all the way through my application form. And they still gave me interviews and still gave me a job. So it's not the end of the world when we get things wrong. Um, but I, so I trained there. I spent a year there. Then I moved across to Eversheds and did five years there where I met my husband. And we had our first son while I was still at Eversheds. And then I left because I decided that at that time, which was 10 years ago now, I couldn't do the hours and the days that were required on the commute with yeah. the family life that we wanted. We lived by then out in Cheshire near Macclesfield and it's quite a long commute into Manchester. And the, you know, the baby was the last on the doorstep at six o'clock and my stress levels were going through the roof. And looking back, I actually didn't want to stay anyway. It was an excuse. Having the baby and having the family was an excuse to get out. Um, and then six months later, I found myself self-employed which takes us up to 10 years ago. And that's what I'm still doing now. <laughs> Excellent. And yeah, I can really relate when you're talking about the Northwest. And so my in-laws are from uh, Lytham St. Anne's. I'm fairly familiar with Lancashire and that part of the world. So uh, yeah, and I definitely know what you mean when it comes to the accent <laughs> as well. There's a, there's a contrast between the North and the South, that's for sure. So I guess you've talked a little bit there about your, your, your career, but let's go back a little bit. Did you always want to be a lawyer? Yes, I did. Do you know, I was at a conference on Friday and one of the speakers said, what did you want to be at 12? And that was pushing it a tiny bit. I know it was 13 because we had one of these careers events at school. You know, where they make you type things into a computer and then it spurts out what it is that you should do as a career. Brilliant yeah. idea. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I bet you'll love that as a recruiter. We're just typing a few things into a computer yeah. and there you go. That's what you should do. So I should have been um, a, a politician, a doctor, or a third one that I can't remember. And, and so my teachers told me, and I just remember saying at the time, no, I'm going to be a lawyer. And the only reason for that, Rob, and I think you'll appreciate that, was I didn't want to be a doctor. It was too messy and sick people and blood and things like that. No, um, I wanted a desk and a briefcase and an office. And I thought I could make decent money in a clean job. That's why I became a lawyer. <laughs> See, the, the OCD clean freak in me is really relating to that even more now, Anna. So, okay, that, that's fair enough. And I like that analogy and how, how it sort of came to be. And let's talk about the present day then, because you currently are a property partner at Gunner Cook. Can you tell us a bit more about what your role encompasses there? Well, this has been a really interesting journey, actually, to, to where I am today, which I'm so proud of and so pleased with where I am today. So I started with Gunner Cook 10 years ago in February, so not far off my, my anniversary. I was one of the early adopters. There were five or six partners there when I joined, not the um, you know, 250, 260 there is now. And it was a new model. There weren't many of these self-employed law firms around at the time. I certainly hadn't come across any. It was just potluck that I ended up having a coffee with Sarah, the founder, she said to me, you can work with whatever hours you want. You can work from home. You can do as many leases and things like that as you want. And it, I just said to her, that's my dream job. You know, I get to be a mum. I can work from home. I can still keep my hand in because it was quite hard as, as do I say hard. As easy as the decision was to leave Eversheds, the hard part was I thought that I was never going to be a lawyer again. And what I'd always wanted and how hard I'd worked, um, it felt like a, a loss, you know, like, like grief. Um, so it, it just gave me that chance to still be a lawyer again, but when I wanted to and how I wanted to. And it started off very gently and, you know, I wasn't setting anything on fire and I wasn't making tons of money, but I was still a lawyer and I was proud of that. 
But over the coming sort of two or three years, it really ramped up because I am an ambitious person and I do work pretty hard when I enjoy something. And so within three years, I built this quite big business. I was I was earning more than my husband was as a partner at a law firm, um, but I was working all the hours and things like that. So then I realized that that wasn't what I wanted either. I didn't want to just be working all these hours even though it was a great business. So that's when I had to sort of pivot it and change it. And it's had lots of changes over over the 10 years to where I've got to now, which I, I do love. And again, there has been at least two times where I thought, am I going to give it up and walk away? Um, but I'm so glad I haven't. And to the latest, which was in the summer, I took on an associate who works with me because by the end of this year, I knew I wouldn't have time to do any more property work because the training and the coaching has taken off so hugely, which is fantastic and I love it that I wouldn't have had time to keep running that property business and and being in it even though I've been down to half the week for the last couple of years I just wouldn't have been able to do it but now that I've grown my team a bit and there's somebody fantastic there to look after things for me the sky's the limit we're going to look for somebody else next year Oh, exciting times and wishing you lots of uh, success with that. And I guess that segues quite nicely because you you do do so many things. You give back to the legal community in a number of different ways. But what made you get into the world of business ownership? Was it working for a firm like Gunna Cook or was it something else? I think I'd always wanted to have my own business because, um, again, it's part of my story that, that you hear sometimes. The first thing I did when I left Eversheds was set up a children's organic clothes business so all the money that I'd made as my maternity bonus and all that sort of thing got plowed into setting up this online baby grow business um so that all got wasted pretty much you know it was fun I bought an expensive sewing machine because again I'd heard go back to what you loved as a child and I loved sewing as a child so that's that was the first attempt I had at business ownership now you can't really earn as much on your own sewing clothes as you can as a lawyer and I think I realized that quite quickly so I think being self-employed and having my own business was always on the cards for me. And I was desperately looking for the right thing. And I did the wrong thing the first time. But then when Gunna Cook came along, yes, it was a chance to start having my own business, but actually in quite a risk-free way. I mean, when I look at what it's taken to set up my second business, the training and coaching, um, a lot of investment, a lot of time, a lot of money, a lot of training. There was a lot of risk with that business, whereas with with the Gunna Cook one, there wasn't because it didn't have any upfront cost for me. I just started it and then everything that I made was was income um so it was a great place to start and yes I think that was the that was the start of realizing that yeah I'm an entrepreneur I like owning businesses and I say this often to my husband because he always says when are you going to stop and when are you going to stop starting new things and it's not that any of the one things is the thing and I think you'll get this Rob it as my business coach says it's about loving business You've just got to love being a business owner and growing business. And I think that's that's where I am. Yeah, and I, I love that. And I love the fact that you, you know, you have the entrepreneurial flair, the skill set, and as well as the sort of legal. I think it's a really great combination. I encourage so many people to think like like you because that's the wave of people that are going to be so, so successful in terms of delivering legal services over the generations to come, which I'm excited about. And I know we both share a mission and vision around that. So we both touched on, um, you know, in 2016, you branched out into coaching, consulting, training, doing a wonderful job of it, I have to say. But what inspired you to do this? What was that sort of aha moment? So I needed a lot of coaching and mentoring myself when I reached um, the point sort of three years into my business where I was almost burnt out and I didn't want to do it anymore. And I thought, what's the next step for me? So I went and got 
a coach and got a mentor and started having a lot of coaching and going along to events and meeting different business people. And really, it was all for me personally at the time. It was to help me get out of this rut that I'd got stuck into where I didn't like my business anymore. But what else could I do? And we were used to the money by then. We'd bought a bigger house and new cars and going on nice holidays. And it wasn't as if we wanted to just shut it all down and stop. That wasn't what I wanted to do. But I needed to know what the next thing was. So I went out and got all this help for me. Um, And then actually, there was an aha moment. And I don't know if you and I have ever spoken about this before. But it was in April 2016 in Barclays. I don't know if you know, um, if if you're based in the Northwest, some of your your listeners might know about it. Barclays do some amazing networking events. Hopefully, they'll be coming back again soon. And they had a speaker who was a coach there. And um, he was speaking and I was sitting in this room full of lawyers and bankers and looking around. And I thought what he was saying was amazing because I was in the coaching world by then and loved all things personal development. But I could see the blank looks on their faces. Like, what is this guy talking about? This guy doesn't know us. He might have left his career and now has this wonderful life. But that's not us. That that won't work for us. And I just sat there looking around and thought, that's what I'm going to do. I'm the bridge between this coaching world, this personal development that I know is amazing and these lawyers who don't know it you know but I can be that that joining place if you like because I've got a foot in both worlds yeah no and I love that and I love the sort of intertwine and so you mentioned your coach and I think this is a really important point why is it important for a coach to have a coach because certain people have the stigma around well you're a coach you know why do you have to have your own coach but you know you and I could know completely different so you know why do you have a coach and why do you think it is important for coaches to have coaches and even more so because of the pandemic you know a lot of people have turned to well I'll just coach you know I was moving to coaching and obviously you've been doing this way before the pandemic and you know people think it might just be an easy way to transition. So yeah, share your thoughts around that. I know that's three questions in one. It's not easy. It's not an easy journey at all. The amount of times that my husband in particular has said over the last five or six years, what are you doing? You had a perfectly good legal business, really good business that you were good at and it was making good money. Why are you now risking everything with the investment and the time and and the time away from the family to do something that you don't know if it's going to work? I mean, I'm thrilled, by the way, that it is working as well as it is now. But there were times when we didn't know that. So it's not an easy transition at all. And one of the things I really believe in with coaching, and you know how important authenticity is to me, it's a personal and a business value. It's in the name because it's so important. What I found is when I was struggling, I couldn't coach people because how can I authentically support and encourage other people when I'm not in a great place myself? Now, I've, I've tweaked that a little bit, especially over the pandemic, because it's not been easy for any of us. You know, someone as someone who got stress under control years ago, my stress levels rose in the pandemic. They absolutely did. And I had to step up all the things that I do to look after myself. I had to go out and get more coaching support, more support from my business groups. And I think that's the important thing is not that we're perfect. It's not that we've got it right. It's not that we've got all the answers and for a while I thought that's what it was about when I first started coaching and as I say I stepped away from it for a while when I thought but I don't have the answers how can I coach people when I thought I had the answers but when everything goes wrong I fall apart too I don't have the answers and now I've realized it's not that it's not about that it's knowing where to go to get that help and I do and that's why it's important for for, I think all of us need coaches but if we are supporting other people in the way that we are we need an outlet it's just like when you think about counseling you know which existed obviously a long time before coaching they always needed supervision 
decision. They always needed someone to go to. And I think the next iteration of coaching is to have some form of supervision, which which I'm actually getting from next year. And maybe that's an area I'll go into in the future. But coaches need support. They definitely do. And so I think it it is an important area to, to ask about because if you're putting that investment and that time and that trust into someone, are they still doing all the continuous development, all the continuous training and learning and, and investing? If they believe in coaching, are they investing in a coach of their own? And that's what you have to ask. Yeah, and I love that answer. And thank you so much for, for sharing that. And I always say to people, asking for help is a superpower, not a weakness. And I think a lot of people are suffering in silence because they feel that it's a sign of weakness or I'm a lesser lawyer or I'm not as capable of doing this. And I can dream of answering, asking that because I should know it already. You don't know what you don't know. And, you know, it is a case of, you know, be the superpower, go out there, ask for help. And I think that's why you do a wonderful job of helping people do that. Oh, thank you, Rob. If, if I might just just jump in there really quickly to say I, I agree with you and that's exactly what I do when I feel I'm struggling I'm losing motivation I don't know what the direction for the business is the first thing I do is literally say right which coach do I need and I've been able to work with some amazing ones over the years and I go to different ones for different things I'm excited to see one of them again in December that I've not seen for a while because when I need that help that's the first thing I do now and I used to be the superwoman the independent I was on my knees refusing to ask for help I was exactly that person you know farming background we're stoic we just get on with it (laughs) you know stiff upper lip I grew up with that I was that person but you can change and now I'm that person right I need help with this where do I go and I'm there booking it and getting on with it and that's the power of having the right mindset you know that open mindset that willingness to want to learn that ability to go out there and ask for it is is a superpower so yeah i think people listening in take heed coaches need coaches we all need development i have my own mentors my own network and that's why we always bang on about this show about the importance of growing your networks having the right people in your networks to help you throughout your career time for a quick break from the show Are you a legal aid practitioner in England and Wales, specializing in civil or criminal legal aid matters? If you are, this message is for you. As a legal aid solicitor, you don't have time to waste on legal aid case management software that doesn't work to your needs. That's why Clio has developed a quicker, more accurate and affordable solution for legal aid solicitors in England and Wales. It could save you hours in your month particularly when it comes to end of month invoicing and claims to the legal aid agency. To see how it all works, visit clio.com forward slash UK forward slash legal aid. That's clio, C-L-I-O dot com forward slash UK forward slash legal aid. Now back to the show. So let's talk more then about authentically speaking, which I'm a big fan of. So and tell us how that was born and the resources that that platform provides. So how that was born, I remember one of my early mentors, in fact, two of them, I was in a business mastermind with them in 2016, and they hated authentically speaking, the name, I mean, they tried so hard to persuade me to, to go away from that name. They said I needed something that did did what it said on the tin, you know, coaching lawyers or something like that. And, and I stuck with it. And over the years, I did worry a few times, but I thought no, and, and it has grown into something that people recognize. And I'm happy with that. So it came from the idea that 
that in setting it up, I found myself authentically and I found my voice as someone who lost their voice because of the bullying, because people didn't like the way I spoke. I stopped speaking. I mean, literally for, for an 18 month period at school, children were told not to talk to me. So no one spoke to me for 18 months. So I had no voice. And then I didn't know what my voice was. I didn't know who I was for a lot of years. And so a part of the name, the Authentically Speaking, is about me coming back to who I am and, and speaking. But then the other flip side of it is encouraging my lawyers to find who they authentically are and to speak with that voice. It doesn't necessarily mean getting up on a stage and speaking and doing the things that I love to do, but just speaking up for what they want. You know, as you've said in the introduction about mental health and well-being and about promotions and about pay rises and about conditions and treatment and flexible working, speak up and ask for what you need and what you want so that that's where the name if you like came from authentically speaking and what it does um again it's it's changed over the years as to what it does but now fundamentally um it is training and so there's a section on the website for law firms because that's what i spend a lot of my time doing now is training inside law firms for the lawyers uh, and coaching as well and then for lawyers independently there's a coaching and training sort of section as well and then i suppose the the biggest new bit of it as as you've mentioned is the lawyers business mastermind and, and the the coaching and consulting work that i do now for legal businesses which is really exciting and, and something I love. And there's a lot of work to do. And, you know, I, I love that you're, you're doing all of this. So, you know, you've touched on a few of the points, but just to dig a bit deeper. Why do you feel that coaching, stress management, et cetera, et cetera, is needed within the legal profession? I think it's because of the mindset that we've all had that is quite damaging and stops us from growing. There's There's been, I mean, the, the legal culture is very old. It's been around for a long time. It's very traditional. Yes, it's still male, very male driven, but that this isn't a male female argument that I'm about to make because I work with a lot of male clients and even those male clients don't fit into this old mold of, you know, the black pinstripe suits and, and that sort of thing. So, we are changed as people in the industry, I think. We are not what it was 30, 40, 50 years ago. But then so much hasn't changed. There is still this stiff upper lip and just get on with it. And this is the job. If you don't like it, get out. If you can't yeah. cope with it, get out. And the people we're losing as a result of that and the lives that are... This is going to sound a bit deep, but the lives that are half lived, I mean, these are mediocre lives people are leading to sound a bit mm. too, you know, melodramatic, but they're going to work. They're trying to earn enough money to pay for their mortgage and let's hope holidays come next year, but there's nothing else in it for them. They're just, there's very little enjoyment. There's very little enthusiasm. There's very little excitement. Everything about my businesses excites me now. And, and I don't see that with other lawyers. So I think um, I've probably gone completely off piece here and forgotten what your no, first question you, was. You're, you're, you're absolutely right because you're, you're touching on why it's needed within the legal profession. And I guess that might nicely onto my next question about, you know, how do you see well-being in the legal industry, particularly pressured and stressful? And how do you think this links to performance? So this is a really timely question. I've just been posting something with somebody on LinkedIn about this today because there's been a recent, another recent survey that says well-being support in firms isn't too bad. It's gone up in the percentages uh, in surveys that there is well-being support being offered. But I think the wrong question is being asked. If you're asked, is well-being support being provided, then most 
firms now are probably doing something. They might have a fruit bowl. They might have some yoga, online yoga or, or meditation. They might have um, an online portal. There are firms that have spent millions on online portals for people to go on to. My question is, how effective is the well-being support that's being provided? How many people are accessing it? Because there aren't many and the ones that really need to access it are not accessing it. So how many people are accessing it? And, you know, do some sort of well-being survey. There's loads out there. I use one that the NHS uses. Do that at one point, provide them with some resources and then do it again and see if it's increased. You know, if their well-being scores have increased, there's so many easy ways to get this right. And yet I don't think it's being so I don't think it's right at all. I think they're providing a one size fits all for people, whereas it is very personal. And even when I'm doing training with groups now, we might train on something, but then someone's got a question, which I can then see is some sort of belief or mindset issue. And then I can talk to them about it. And then not just am I giving generic training, but I'm saying, right, you're stuck in this place. Why do you believe that? Why do you believe that? Why do you believe that? And we get to where they're coming from. And when we change that, we change what they're doing and the results they're seeing. So you need this personalized approach to it. It isn't just sit and watch a webinar. Uh, now, I've been guilty of that over the last five or six years. I've provided one-off webinars. It is not my preferred way of supporting firms now. Um, it, it's, it ticks a box to say that they've done something and it makes people think for half an hour. But does it change things long term? No, they need long term support. So I think there's an interesting um, situation now with well-being in firms. I think there aren't many firms that would deny it's needed. Um, and that's that's an improvement in the last five or six years. But is enough being done quickly enough to, to save people effectively, either from leaving or from burning out or from chronic stress? And no, it's not. Yeah, and really valuable points. And, you know, the great resignation is real. The legal industry has been hit exceptionally hard. And I always say value the person, not the people. You know, and you've hit that point on the head. There is no broad strush brooch for all of this. You know, each individual has their own support. It needs to be bespoke. It needs to be around those. Because if you try and do everything and tick the box and just put things on portals or webinars, like you say, that are so generic and non-tailored, then you're still going to have people walking out of your door. So, really value the person not the people yes absolutely and the other problem is that they might put these things on for them but they don't even push their importance so when you've got junior lawyers in firms that i know and i, I work with them they've got these resources and they've got webinars that are on at lunchtime but if their line managers and their bosses are not logging off and going to these resources then the juniors are not going to and yeah. those that are really struggling, are really overwhelmed, really at chronic stress, are not going to stop their fee-earning work that they feel is what they really need to do to go and watch a webinar. Yeah. So that's, that's the problem as well, is it's not getting to the people that, that it needs to get to. So true. So true. And, you know, you're an inspirational person, that's for sure, Hannah. And, you know, what is it like running multiple businesses together with, you know, running a family? What advice would you give to others who want to who wants to do it all like you? <laughs> oh, you know, it's not for everybody to do what I do. And I know that I know my husband says it frequently. He is an employed lawyer and that's what he wants to do. And and, and that suits him. It's it's not for everyone. I, I am someone who even as a young child believed I could do whatever I wanted to do. Sounds big headed, doesn't it? But it's it's who I am. And it's what I believed in. And I think every time I found myself feeling trapped and feeling as though I don't love what I'm doing, I have to change it. 
I know I've got the capability. I know now that I have the connections, as you said, networks and connections have been a huge part of my journey over the last 10 years. And in business, you meet these people, these wonderful people that inspire you, support you. You can pick up the phone to them at any time and say, I need help with this or I need an introduction to such a body. I collaborate with lots of different people from my business groups and some exciting stuff coming up next year. And it's I think that's for me because it excites me, it energizes me. I don't feel like me if I don't do those things. And this is where I I found myself in lockdown when all my training was stopped, everything was put on hold. My stress levels went up and I realized it was purely because I wasn't doing what I love doing. I had to find a way to keep doing it because it is part of who I am. And yes, it does mean I don't spend as much time at home or with my children as other people might want to do. Um, But for me, it's really important that I am who I'm supposed to be for my children and that role model. But it's not for everyone. Um, it, it, but what it, what is for everyone, in my opinion, and this is what I coach and train on, is trying to find what you do love. Yes, about your career and about your work, if you can. That is not always possible. And a queer, career switch and change isn't always possible at that moment. So I always say to people, how can you bring in what you do love? I worked with one lady who, she was sole breadwinner and a lawyer, so she couldn't leave, but her dream had always been to be a writer. So I said, well, on a Saturday afternoon, take a lovely brand new notebook and pen and go and sit in a coffee shop and be a writer. Be a writer all Saturday afternoon. And who knows where that might take you? So what I want for everybody, really, particularly in the legal profession and other professional services, is to start seeing outside the box to stop seeing this tunnel vision of fee earning, billing, time recording, doing what my boss says, doing what my clients say, and see what else, what else is out there. And it doesn't always mean career change. It might just mean, like it was for me, remembering who you were and bringing some of that in. Yeah, really, really good advice, Hannah. And I guess finally, before we wrap up, and as we mentioned, you have began your podcast build your legal business this year. So tell us more about the podcast and why you decided to do it. So the Build Your Legal Business podcast is aimed at legal business owners or those who aspire to be. So as as you've mentioned, it could be sole practitioners, it could be consultants like myself, or it could be small legal business owners. And Again, a lot of this comes from the business support that I've had and I've seen over the years as I've built my businesses. I've always been part of business masterminds and I honestly would not be where I am today without them. I wouldn't have got through the pandemic without them, not with the business that has now exploded since without that support and encouragement and fresh ideas um, and sometimes just hand-holding while you cry, you know, whether it's virtually or physically. I couldn't have got to where I am without them. And I want my legal business community to have the same thing and to have the same support. And so the podcast is really a way into that world, um, a way to maybe connect with other people, to meet other people doing the same thing. So we're not working alone and in a silo because, you know, business ownership can be lonely sometimes. And a chance for me to share some of my thoughts from the journey, some mini trainings, if you like, and to bring some brilliant guests, inspiring people who will teach them about things that I wish I'd known in the first three or four years of running my business. And I could have avoided a lot of mistakes and a lot of heartache. 
So true, so true. And you know, you're such a wonderful legal community builder, someone who genuinely cares and is so passionate about you and what you're trying to achieve, which no doubt you're going to continue to do great things for, for the community. So if people want to follow you about anything we've discussed today or get in touch, what's the best way for them to do that? Feel free to shout out any social media handles or website links, and we'll also share them with this episode for you too. Oh, thank you, Rob. Well, probably the best place is still LinkedIn. That's where I put most of my content and people can find me there. So Hannah Becko on LinkedIn. And I do also have the website authenticallyspeaking.co.uk. So there are some free resources on there, things like overwhelm, boundaries. You can find out more about the Lawyers Business Mastermind. If you are involved in organizing training or coaching within your firm, then you can. there's a page there for law firms as well. Um, I am on Twitter, but I, I think LinkedIn and and, and the website are probably the best. There is also um, a YouTube channel. There's some mini trainings uploaded on the YouTube channel too. Again, just Hannah Becko. Awesome. Well, thanks an absolute million, Hannah. It's been a real pleasure having you on the show. We're wishing you lots of continued success and continue to inspire the legal community. But from all of us on the Legally Speaking podcast, over and out. This week's review comes from Caris1991. Great podcast for lawyers and law students. One of my favorite podcasts. Rob does a great job bringing on some of the most interesting people in the legal industry. Thank you so much, Caris, for your lovely, kind words. We really appreciate you and all your support from all of us on the Levy Speaking Podcast. Thanks a million.